In this episode, I have my friends from the Money Advantage podcast on Bruce Warner, Rachel Marshall, and her husband, Lucas. We talked about family, um, financial values. It was a great conversation. It was really a love fest. We had fun. Hope you enjoy listening. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Bank of Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery, and I'm always excited to have guests. Um, of course, they're not in the studio. I'm more excited if they were to be in the studio. So look, y'all have an open invitation to fly down here anytime. All right. But uh, I have uh, my friends, uh, Bruce Warner, Rachel Marshall, and Rachel's husband, Lucas. And they are with um, E3, and they have the Money Advantage podcast in and they were gracious to invite me as a guest on their show sometime in the in the past. And I had fun. I had not previously met uh, Rachel, lovely young lady, and her husband is, you know, they're getting it done. So I'm excited to have y'all. Thank you for coming and blocking off time. Um, Thank and- you for having us. This is a pleasure. I know it's a not common to see people necessarily collaborating or strategizing within the industry. And James, I know that you're doing that regularly. We do that as well in our world. Uh, it's just really unique and exciting to do it together with you. Yeah, glad to be here. Learned a lot from you over the years uh, via a lot of all the content you produce and uh, love your abundance mindset. So, Yeah, thank you. Um, and then we have Bruce. Bruce, where are you at? Right here, buddy. I'm up in St. Louis. James and I, you know, James, I don't know when we officially met, but I think it's been at least 10 years. And, you know, running into your you uh, over the years and listening to you and sharing ideas and and uh, uh, just not only about the industry, but, you know, finding out a little bit about your family and your friendship. It's been uh, it's been inspiring for me and and, uh, you know, you're, you're a true Texan at heart. And, I, and you know, our biggest, our second biggest office is in Austin, Texas for E3. So um, I just think this is great when we get to be on other producers' podcasts because I'm finding this is, be, this is uh, I try to learn from everybody. And, I, and James, I know you're the same way. I think it's refreshing, though, James. I think we're starting to move in that direction. More and more people in the industry are starting to say, hey, Let's just make the industry better. Let's share what we are learning out there. And uh, then that way, the, the people that we're serving in the community will actually have a, a better financial life going forward. And so mm-hmm. I'm always excited to talk to more people in the industry. Now, I appreciate all of the kind words from each of you greatly. Um, and I completely agree. Um, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I've had Barry Dyke. He's been a guest. I've been a guest on his. Y'all know him very well. And yep. um, Barry Page and other uh, admirable people in the industry. And, and um, I think I agree with you that um, the more the general public is exposed to, the better off they are, the more information that is available to them from different perspectives um, is good, you know, contrary to the current medical narrative quote-unquote medical narrative you know where the truth is hidden on purpose and i i just think that that's wrong in general but um i'm very uh selective on who i engage with is in a, in a public domain right in a public uh situation because i don't want to give any 
support to what I call the noise out in the infinite banking footprint. And so I, I respect each of you and what you do. And I'm glad that you're in Austin. I mean, you know, we can't write all the business in Texas. So, you know, we need some help. Um, but thank you for saying that. And then too, um, you know, way back in the day that uh, Nelson was giving his 10 hour live presentations and he, he only did that through invitation, you know, so there would be a host that had to invite him and the host was responsible for gathering up uh, an audience, right? And sometimes that was easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just saying back in the day, I think the uh, we did a lot. We hosted Nelson over 30 times and it was a, an honor and a blessing to be able to do that. And my heart goes out to the people who haven't or didn't have the opportunity to hear him live. And I'm saying all that to say this. I would regularly, regularly contact other agents in my area, Oklahoma. They didn't, most of them were in Texas. And I would say, hey, Nelson's coming to town. You know, I'm going to invite my clients and prospective clients. And, you know, maybe you'd like to invite your clients as well. Um, and if you did that, then when you host Nelson, then maybe my clients could attend as well. So our clients, respectively, could have double the opportunity or triple the opportunity to hear Nelson. You know how many agents I asked, and then do you know how many agents took me up on that offer? Well, I'm going to guess because I did. I've had similar experiences. You know, I'm going to say you asked dozens, and nobody took you up on the offer. You're generous. I asked uh, four. One <laughs> took me up on the offer with quite the skepticism, hmm. and then I quit asking. So then yeah. I would just I would just host Nelson more often. You, you know. know, I'm going to share on that particular note. Thank you to Bruce and his team. The reason we actually met Nelson in person um, was because of an event that E3 hosted in St. Louis. And before that, I mean, Lucas could even share kind of some of our background. But before that, we were aware of Nelson Nash and we were reading his books. And this was I mean, we probably had known of him and been on his email list with Nelson Nash Institute for several years already. I think we actually heard about the event from the Nelson Nash Institute, not from E3, because we didn't know anything about E3 at the time. And so we ended up going to St. Louis, met in person Nelson Nash, also Carlos Lara, also um, Dr. Bob Murphy. Murphy. Robert Murphy um, and the whole E3 team and a lot of other advisors that were there. And what's really, really interesting is that was kind of a start of a lot of things for us because we started building relationships, not just getting the knowledge. So rather than just reading the books and, and going through the programs and listening, which there wasn't as much, you know, video content on YouTube about infinite banking at the time, but besides just the reading, we started getting to know people and I will never forget. I was so thankful we had the opportunity to sit down for lunch one day with Nelson himself. My husband, Lucas, and I said, hey, can we do lunch with you? And I think we tried to pay and he paid for us instead. But this was uh, right after hearing him speak on stage. And we just had an amazing conversation. And I think, I don't remember anything we said, but what I do remember <laughs> is what he said. I remember that he said, and this was what, even six, seven years ago now, he said, you guys are you give me so much hope and confidence for the future because it's people like you that are going to continue on this concept. And I just felt extremely loved and validated by this man at the time. He was probably about close to 80. He was probably, I think about 78 at the time. And I said, someday I'm going to have you come speak. 
Well, I had no idea. I had no um, platform for that at the time. I had a YouTube channel, but there was no guest interviews. There was no podcast. And I just knew that as we started a podcast, we wanted to be able to have him come speak. And I'm so thankful that we were able to do that. Bruce and I started the Money Advantage podcast um, about four years ago. And Nelson was one of our guests towards the beginning of that. I'm just so thankful mm. we had the opportunity to talk with him and have him share his wisdom with our tribe just as we were getting started. And I'm so thankful I was able to fulfill on that promise of saying, I really want to have you come speak. That was just uh, so rewarding to me. I think that what you're saying, you know, uh, the industry working together and Nelson's words to us, <clears throat> Rachel, uh, I think maybe shared that she almost died uh, when you were on the show. But that kind of sent us and our family down a journey of really, really thinking and thinking a lot about what does legacy really mean? Um, and uh, <clears throat> what does it mean? What does family mean? Like, you know, very deep thinking about these topics. And um, I'm seeing that, you know, in the industry, it's like Nelson, um, the words he said to, to us, and then people working with each other and really laying uh, um, setting up the industry to have some form of a legacy versus being on this independent track, which is in many ways, like how modern American families operate. It's like, Hey, you're part of the family, but you're going to go out on your own. And then it's like, start over. Like everything starts over versus you look at like cultures, like Hebrew cultures and other cultures where mm-hmm. um, they're very multi-generational thinking mm-hmm. and the family is a team. And so each generation you're growing the team. Like it's a business. You think it's enterprising. The family is an enterprise and in order to be the family to be successful, it has to be enterprising. And it's, that's what you're starting to see in our industry with people working together is um, not being these isolated islands. And um, I think Nelson really helped. He really pioneered that because, I mean, he even talked about way back in his, I think it was his first book, The Becoming Your Own Banker, this idea of generational legacy planning. And he he had this little chart. And if you if the first generation or the grandparents' generation buys the life insurance and then in, um, has the death benefit payout, I think it was to the grandchildren. And then uh, the, I don't remember, but he had the, the skips and specifically, it wasn't just one generation to the next. It was across two generations each time. And he was saying, you can use infinite banking is in this way of creating a generational legacy when the death benefits are used to purchase more life insurance on that upcoming generation. I remember that being one of the most profound key pieces of that book for me when I first read it, thinking this is a a tool to do a lot more than just in my own life. This is something that I can use to think really long-term. That's that's both very powerful. You know, with family, if you think about this idea of becoming your own banker, right, controlling the banking function, and what you're speaking of, Rachel, is the even distribution of age classes, right? Page 71, mm-hmm. becoming your yeah. own banker. Mm-hmm. And so the grandparent, they have all the money. That generation has all the money, right? And so they were, Nelson demonstrated buying life insurance on the, the grandchildren, skipping mm-hmm. the children, but the parents of the grandchildren. So the children were supposed to buy policies, on their children and grandchildren as well. Um, and it's a beautiful right. thing. I'm telling you, I spent, when I first met Nelson way back in the day, um, that's all I, that spoke to me as well. Equipment financing and an even distribution of age classes spoke to me just, um, and then that's really what I have. I implemented it into my life, our life personally, and then into our practice. But that resonates with people because it's the truth. You know, that every business, 
um, has a ferocious need for capital and cash flows and their financing and everything. And then the equipment financing illustrations uh, demonstrate the truth of what Nelson is teaching numerically, even though, you know, he did say that he wouldn't put illustrations in a book if he rewrote that book or went back and did it again. That's why there's no illustrations in uh, his second book, Building a House of Wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so those two sections, even distribution of age class speaks to every family in my experience. Um, and it promotes this idea of family and heritage. You know, if we have to work together as a family, what what is wrong with that? You know, what what where's the weakness in that? That families work together and plan and make decisions that affects more than one generation. I mean, that's a a huge missing element in families in general, and especially in the financial world, in my opinion. So Oh, I think it's huge. I think it's hugely missing, but I think it's a hugely missed opportunity. Yep. Because if you think about family money, and this is something that I talk about in my upcoming book that I wrote about my near-death experience that then caused our family, Lucas and I, to really, I wasn't even thinking about a book at the time. I was thinking, how do I tell the story of me almost dying and then having this amazing experience of healing and being able to live after that. How do I tell that in a, sto- in a book? But I had no connection between that and our practice or the financial work that we did until I just put the book as- idea aside. And I said, okay, well, let's figure out what to do with our family. Well, first we looked at our life insurance. We already had our human life value. We had whole life. We had term life to supplement that. Um, we had an estate plan and that's really what we had. I mean, we were practicing what we preached, but we realized the life insurance we could do better. And so what we did better was we said, well, we've already got, I think, five, six, seven years on some of our term policies. Let's go ahead and refresh those. So we did that. Um, we looked at our estate planning and we said, well, we have an outright distribution to our one daughter at the age of 25, I think, um, should something happen to us. A, we need to add our second daughter to the policy. That makes us think about all the questions of fairness and equitability. And what if one's in the business and one's not? Or what if one's a missionary and one's a high paid, you know, creates a thriving enterprise somehow? How do we think about all of these things? And so we redid our estate plan with a lot of intentionality and thinking about in trust, holding assets in trust rather than just outright distribution. But then we really, really started thinking about how do we create this living out our value system and how do we put that into our plan rather than just here's money and here's the distribution of it end of story how do we make sure that it gets used for what we wanted in our life and and so i just kind of share that big picture and then i realized we can help other people with this but specifically i wanted to come back to the idea of family banking because if you have money in the family if you think of the family as a whole unit then that money can produce the growth of family members and the whole family can contribute to the money building. And if you think about the money creating and being spent for the flourishing of the individuals and the whole family growing, you can think about, well, if I have a family banking system, if I use life insurance as a family bank and I provide loans for capital to family members who then will use that to to repay loans by having a profitable venture, 
Well, I'm responsible for developing the character and stewardship in the person that's eventually going to be taking a loan from my family bank, which I want to develop them as much as possible so that they will ask for productive, profitable loans and repay replenishing family capital. And I can think of this whole growing banking system that I can use life insurance for to do a profound job of contributing and strengthening and building the family as well. Uh, very well said. Uh, I've seen it where parents or grandparents are purchasing, you know, policies on the grandchildren. And then sometimes with the insurable interest and the limits of insurability, you know, the parents have to have a certain amount. Nelson doesn't really go into great detail in uh, becoming your own banker in those examples of, you know, the college financing. But uh, we have lots of clients that either grandparents and, and actually some parents as well, they're buying policies on themselves, the next generation, the next two generations, and then actually practicing family banking where the grandchildren and the children are actually repaying loans with additional interest, quote unquote, which is actually premium to their system. And if you think that through, right? So mom and dad have life insurance policies and they're financing the children's automobiles. I just, you know, that's just one example of the automobile, right? Um, every family has typically two cars if they're married, right? Mm -hmm. And then on average, and I know averages are averages, but, you know, you, you we replace our cars every four to five years, right? If you have two cars and you drive them for 10 years, um, that's an awful lot of automobile financing over a one single generation. But then as that happens and the, the children and the grandchildren are repaying the loans, right? Practicing honest banking, all that additional interest has to reside in a policy somewhere. All that quote unquote additional interest buys additional death benefit that is going to accrue to those generations who are actually financing or repaying the loans and enjoying the use of whatever is being financed. You know, they're enjoying the automobile. They're financing it through a family bank. That family bank is ever increasing and it is going to benefit them. And just that example, you know, I'm just carving out the death benefit. If I continue to pay additional interest above what the life insurance company is charging me, that additional interest, which is premium to the company, capital to my system, it's buying greater and greater death benefit. And so not only is the capital available right now, right now, but then the future death benefit is going to be enhanced, which is mm -hmm. capital. It's it's uh, when you think that through, put it into practice, and then compare it to what everybody else is doing. I'm trying to find the lowest interest rate possible to go buy a, a overly priced pre-owned automobile, and that money that I pay and the interest that I pay financing that through somebody else is never going to return to me in any form whatsoever. And it really doesn't take uh, very much critical thinking, um, which is greatly lacking, in our, especially in our education system, to, to just think this through mentally and then um, verify it with numbers and education and, and, and circling 
or being surrounded by people that that um, think like you do, right? They mm-hmm. practice this concept for themselves. It it just doesn't take. Um, I mean, I don't understand. It just doesn't take a lot to to clearly see that, man, this is worth implementing. And then, you know, James, this gives me a thought that um, we talk a lot about when you're looking for life insurance or when we come to the conclusion that a specially designed whole life insurance policy is a good fit. It's because before we've talked about that product, somebody is looking for a place to store cash and they want a place that is safe, liquid, and growing. But let's just take out the growing component for a second. Let's just say your cash value, you just made me think differently for a second. So let's just imagine that it was safe, that you could store your capital somewhere that was safe and liquid so you can access it and use it. So the cash value I'm accessing and using, but let's just say it didn't grow with any interest or any dividends at all. Now that's not the way life insurance works, so don't you know? Don't shoot arrows at me yet. But let's just say that there was zero growth rate on your cash value. Yep. It just um, it was there, but it wasn't growing at a rate of return. The fact that I can borrow against this capital, borrow out, borrow against my capital, and repay it. That in itself is just this warehouse or this holding tank of money. If I didn't even think about the rate of return on the cash value, I still have the ability for a leveraged up death benefit that makes everything just beautiful. Because if the cash value didn't grow at all during my lifetime, there's still going to be a death benefit payout. Bruce, can you you explain this so amazingly? Can you talk about what is a leveraged up death benefit and why is it so profound in terms of building generational wealth? Well, yeah, because everybody gets uh, hooked into these, this idea of rates of return. Mm-hmm. And what they always forget about is there's no greater rate of return than your premium to your death benefit when you, as Nelson used to always say, graduate from this earth. And so that capital is leveraged up. So, you know, depending on your age, your gender and your habits, you know, a $20,000 premium for a 45 year old may get you $650,000 of death benefit. Well, that's what I'm talking about is leveraged up 20,000 leveraged up for $650,000 of future capital and that's if you don't do anything else. That's not if you don't if you don't continue to um, to to capitalize your bank. If that's if you don't do additional um, interest payments, as James said, which I love, and we say the same thing. There's no additional real interest that's get paid to your policy. It's just additional premium payments. And every time you make additional premium payments in the form of paid up additions, the great things about that is that paid up additions is just what it says. It's paid up. So that capital is available to you right away. Well, depending on the insurance company, it dep- they have to process it, but it's relatively, it's, it's, it's available to you relatively uh, right away. But then depending on when you make that paid up additions, that premium payment is leveraged up again to a higher death benefit. And that higher death benefit is just more capital for the future generations. Um, I've said this on our show um, several times is this whole concept of, of grandparents taking life insurance out on grandchildren 
is, uh, is a very powerful one, building the, the family bank, the family bank, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, what, what, what's interesting is, is our society has somehow put this negative connotation that you're hoping somebody's going to die, to access this cash. And I'm saying, well, that, that not, that's not a true family. You know, yes. that's not a true family. Um, I, I have a life insurance policy that I took out on my father and I took it out for a variety of reasons. Um, mainly because he was, he was, a, he was, a, uh, uh, I love my father, but he's a stubborn old German, you know? And so uh, during the financial crisis, um, he asked me to help and I said, okay, well, we gotta, we gotta have time for this to recover. You can't be accessing your qualified money. So I'm going to take a life insurance. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. At first I said, I'm just going to pay you, you know, X amount of dollars a month. And he says, no, you're not going to do that. Um, and I said, well, no, you're going to pay me back. You're going to pay me back upon your death. And then he's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Well, then people who are thinking I'm rooting for my father to die. Well, they don't understand how well-designed whole life insurance works because the longer they live, the longer you capitalize that policy, the higher the death benefit. So why Mm -hmm. would I be rooting for him to die when I should be rooting for him to live? Because as he lives, that that death benefit grows and grows and grows. Another Another example of this is... My, I then took, I accessed money out of my um, capital, which is a loan against my cash value and death benefit. And I purchased a home for my mother and father. Why did I do that? They wanted to downsize so that my sister could move into her uh, uh, new home, which is my mom and dad's old home. Hmm. Well, then what happens, and James, you know, we always fight with these insurance companies, but this particular insurance company allows the rent payment to go right back into a policy that they do not own or not insured. So you're, it really, the family is paying the loan back on a policy that they are not the insured or the beneficiary. That's awesome. Or the owner, frankly. And so the, what people don't realize is these insurance companies do allow for a third-party payment like that. So the other thing, uh, I often remind some of our clients, and James, I don't know if you ever talk uh, to your clients about this, when uh, you know, insuring a grandchild is great, but like you said, there's some limitations of, according to how much insurance the, the, parents. the parents have or their mm-hmm. children have. Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is I ask this question and I say, does your, does your son or daughter have life insurance? And, and when I get this answer, I redirect it. They say, Oh no, I've talked to him. They don't have any life insurance. And I said, yes, they do. And they look at me like, how dare you question me? And I say, yes, they do. And they go, no, they don't. I'm like, no, they do. Because if they die, you're their life insurance. Because you're not going to let your grandchildren just go to anybody. So you are their life insurance. And so that is way to redirect the conversation to say, oh, yes, maybe maybe I have to consider 
uh, making sure that my children who are grown adults now uh, and have that conversation, it opens up the conversation of the importance of the life insurance as income protection in this particular case before the grandkids actually get um, protection by the grandchildren. And I've had cases where the the uh, parents, and of course, we all know how difficult this is sometimes, the, par- the, the, the grandparents then go to their own children first and decide they need to help them set up policies on their own. So having these conversations is really, really tenant to growing a good family capitalization system that will outlive the grandparents' lives in this case and leaving a great legacy. I think when you tie that in with like, what does it take to make, if you think of the family as an enterprise, and you think, well, what does it take, just talk about business for a second, what does it take for a business to be successful long-term? The business can't be dependent on the, the, uh, the, the, first, the person who started, the founder. Um, it has to be, um, that has to be passed on and that real wealth is the people. So mm-hmm. if you invest in the people in your business and then you can pass that on to a success, successor, to be continuously successful. It's the same thing with family. You can use this tool to teach the next generation about money uh, and to the family business and start having them operating, start operating in that way, having family meetings and um, passing that, that knowledge down. Um, and, and so that kind of goes back to, you know, Bruce, uh, you have a, can you talk about the, the rugged individualist? I'll tie that in, but the concept of the, in, in the financial industry of the rugged individualist. Yeah. And this is the, and- and this is the, the problem with a lot of the financial world. And I, this is why we're really glad to do co- uh, cooperative things. At E3, we always talk about we already build in a succession plan. Mm-hmm. And that succession plan is a teamwork plan because most financial professionals, whether they're investment advisors, whether they're um, uh, insurance professionals, producers, they're rugged individualists. They're just going to go out there and they're going to try to, you know, do as much work for their family and, and frankly, for the clients. I'm not saying they're bad, but what ends up happening then is after that person either dies, uh, retires or becomes disabled, then that, that planning to the next generation and the next generation and next generation goes away. And mm-hmm. so the more we can have these cooperative uh, situations like the Nelson Nash Institute, James, I think is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. is to try to help people realize that there's other people out there that you can turn to, that you can tell your, tell your particular, um, I've had this conversation with other producers at the Nelson Nash Institute. They say, well, I don't, if I die tomorrow, if I retire, I don't know what's going to happen to my clients. And I say, well, that's where you have to introduce them to somebody else in the Nelson Nash Institute. Because if you don't, that particular wealth is not going to go to the next generation because that next, all right, well, it's it's going to go to the next generation, but it's not going to then go to the generation after that, the generation mm-hmm. after that. And, um, you know, it's, it's all about making infinite banking infinite. That's what, that's kind of the thing that I say to people all the time is how do we make infinite banking infinite? Because if infinite banking is one generation, it's not infinite. Yeah. Well, and that, that's what you see in our culture, primarily with families is, each generation is like they, you know, <clears throat> they may appreciate some things for the parents, but the, a lot of people have these, you know, my parents messed me up or whatever, but then they, it's almost like they, they start over, right? They like, well, I'm going to do better, which is good, right? You should, should look at 
you know, I can look at my father and say, well, he did better than his father. How can I build upon that? But at the same time, how do you, uh, this is a tool, but it's just a tool that help. let's rein it in. Like there's this extreme, right? You can be extremely individual or you can be about the team or the family. It's like, where do you find that balance of, of supporting and facilitating each individual's passions and purpose, but then also each individual supporting the family and, and, and how much better you can be together. So people, you know, each child, each human being is going to have different skill sets, different things. And you can pull those resources together and then financial capital, you know, you're just setting up each person in the family to continuously be more successful. And is, if everyone's is it acting as a team player, just like in a business, mm-hmm. you're setting up that, that business to continuously be successful. And infinite banking is just a tool on the financial side to continuously provide that capital to allow all those team members to continuously uh, be able to grow and be better. And so I just, it's just this intense or not intense, but this nice marriage of the financial continuation along with the, and, and, and shifting how you think about family and business. And so going from that rugged individualist saying, Hey, how do we work in the industry together? Those are all very good points. You know, the going back originally to your point, Rachel, the the value of life insurance, um, if there was no growth rate or increase in the cash value, although there has to be by contract, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the dividends are not guaranteed, but all the companies that, you know, we use or rely upon in the infinite banking world, they've all paid their dividends, you know, for well over 100 years. But the idea or the actual ability, so the idea of becoming your own banker, the idea of controlling the banking function is really very limited because nowhere in finance is the value of controlling the banking function at the UME level even spoken about. They don't even talk about it. Of course not, because they want you to be dependent upon their their capital that you know, didn't exist until you sign on the dotted line or Wall Street in general, you know, they want your capital. And, you know, so this idea of controlling that banking function and being independent, right, from the third party lenders is, is just foreign to the all American individual. But then when they're exposed to the idea, it makes complete sense. They vet it, they implement it. And then actually experiencing the ability to control the banking function in your life is game changing. When Bruce purchases a house for the parents, his sister's allowed to move in, they go to one level or whatever they're. Uh, that's that's I mean, why they did it, James. Yeah, they needed to go to one yeah, level. Exactly, which is very yeah. common. You know, I know you young, you listen, you know, Rachel. Lucas, <laughs> you might not understand the importance of one level, but as we age, it becomes very important. You see um, this white hair? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but then the, um, you know, let's if to to even do that, right? To 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 purchase a home, to purchase a car. Just think when you purchased your first car, you had a family conversation anyway, or there was some. Uh, some repair work that needed to be done in the family because if you went out and make these, you know, mm-hmm. these major purchases without any input from your family, you know, there's an opportunity to increase, uh, you know, family relationships maybe. My point here is that these conversations are going on anyway. So well, it, I think it, the, it was interesting. We had a conversation earlier that doesn't relate necessarily to today's conversation, but this all comes back to something, one phrase, the idea level. We have to, Infinite banking is something that starts at the idea level, way down, not just what financial product works best. That's 
talking about products. If you start there, you'll get all turned around. We really need to come back all the way to the idea that James, you're just touching on, which is the idea of controlling capital. Why would I want to control capital? Why do I want to be in a position that I don't have to go get a loan? Well, let's just think about this for a second. Most people, before they're exposed to some of these ideas, might think, well, I make the money, I pay off my loans, so I pay off my mortgage, and I invest money. Like That might be maybe more along the lines of the typical way of thinking. I pay off my, my mortgage, and I invest. Okay. Well, if you're in a position of investing, that's cash that can go up in value, but it can also be lost. You have a risk factor associated with investing, and that's not money that is a savings tool. That is something that is making more money, but it's not a safe, liquid place to store cash necessarily. We pay off the house. Okay, well, so what does that mean? That means my capital is now, as Bruce and his team share, the capital is now in the four walls of the house. Where does that put me in the future? If I just play that script out to the end. Now I've got my house paid off. I've got these investments. The investments are supposed to grow and not lose me money, but I can't control the stock market. I can't control, uh, uh, there's a word I'm looking for, but if the whole thing, um, systemic, I can't control systemic failures of an entire system of investing. I also cannot control, I've got my whole house paid off off. And now I want that capital. I need it for something. I need to pay for a medical situation. I need it to buy a rental property. I need it. How are you going to get that? Well, you have to go to the bank, who is the gatekeeper, who now qualifies you on the basis of how much your income is and your ability to repay a loan. They say yes or no to you getting a HELOC or a home equity loan. Just because you have the capital in the four walls of your house doesn't mean you can access it. So the question is then, Am I in control? I've got all my loans paid off and I've got investments. Am I in control? Well, my investments can fall. The value of my home can fall. I may not be able to get to my cash. Am I really in control? The bank, on the other hand, is in control because they maintain capital. They have capital that is at their disposal so that they can earn interest, so that they can have security. They don't have to worry about money dropping in value, They their investments losing money. They don't have to worry about that as much. They're in a position of control because they own and control capital. So, and I know, James, we, we've talked about this on our show lots of times. And I think you even brought this up when you were on our show on The Money Advantage. We want to step into the role of being the banker for the purpose of being in control because if I have cash and capital I can access and use, now I have a lot more options. And so that's all the way down to the idea stage. Why do I want to consider infinite banking in the first place? Because it puts me in a better position with more control. And the person who has control now can create the freedom that they truly want to have. You can't have freedom without responsibility. You can't have freedom without control. I agree. Yeah, that's well said. I, I want to not only be the banker, no question, that's a gatekeeper to the capital, right? And then I want to be the borrower, no question. You know, I'm gonna, I want to be the bank owner too. I can fulfill all three roles, you know, and then the mm-hmm. fourth one too, if I, you know, want to be the loan committee in the family, you know, you can create your own loan committee, right? Because every, mm-hmm. 
you know, great idea is not an opportunity. Every opportunity that presents itself is maybe not an opportunity. And it's okay to have uh, these things vetted, you know, with people that are, that love and care about us, which mm-hmm. is the family, right? Um, so, no, I love that. It is, it's absolutely control. You know, it's, it's who's controlling the banking function. Banking is, it exists, and somebody's going to profit greatly from that, and it might as well be you. And that conversation is just never held in the general financial world. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's eye-opening whenever you come face-to-face with some very basic um, truths about money and capital and banking, the movement of money, um, is a, the, especially the way Nelson presented it. It's, uh, it's almost like a come-to-Jesus meeting. You know, there's going to be some real honesty there, right? Um, either you have to admit that you've been ignorant um, or maybe potentially wrong, right? And you have to be teachable, right? Well, I, I don't know everything. I am open to new ideas without preconceived notions and ideas um but man once you get past that and then uh, go through the mechanics working with able and capable intelligent practitioners advisors and agents you know it's really uh you know because we all need a little guidance you know this is generally new people have not since they are not taught about this and they're exposed to it and they like it you know we've got to be surrounded by people that are smarter than us or at least like-minded you know, I mean, we sure don't want to all be identical. Um, you know, I want to learn from you. I want you to learn from me. We can all learn from each other. You know, iron does sharpen iron. Um, but then it's Katie bar the door. It's like, get to it. Pay the premium. Pay big premium. You know, feel good about it. And walk away from all the noise. You're not missing out. You know, we I suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out, you know. Um, but that diminishes the more capital that I have. And the more of uh, these financing things that I control, it's like, what am I missing? I'm not missing out on zero, nothing. I'm just saying it goes away. And that's a big deal. If you have FOMO and you suffer from it, getting away from that is uh, quite liberating. So. What's amazing is that most people formulate opinions based on things they've heard, oh, yeah. not based on things they've experienced. And this, and, and there's no, there's no greater example of that than whole life insurance or, or, or life insurance in general, because nobody, <laughs> nobody's experienced the, uh, a windfall of their, from their lives because they're still alive. But uh, they certainly, I have, I have a meeting this uh, Friday with somebody that put a whole life insurance policy in place. And she told her brother and, and, he immediately told her how it was wrong for her to do it and it was stupid and so on and so forth. And she immediately, you know, contacted me and she said, I don't understand why my brother doesn't listen to me. And he doesn't understand. He never wants to ask me why I'm doing this. Mm. He, all he told me right away was it was wrong. He doesn't even understand how it's built. He doesn't understand the flexibility you know, he said, James, it's the old thing where he said, well, you know, they're going to keep that cash value when you, when die. you die and only give you the death benefit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Bruce, let me, let me say this. Look, if uh, if they're, and I don't want to know uh, unless, 
Um, you know, if she's with, if she just uh, can't uh, feel good about keeping it and it's not a, a company that I'm associated with, I'll buy that policy. Well, that's what he, uh, I'm just saying. That, that's where actually I was going with this. And, whole and thing. I can write a check in one day. It'll take 30 days for the life insurance company to surrender the cash values. That's I'm exactly saying. right. We talk, we talk, actually, James, no, uh, I had done, at least I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I had done a good enough job of explaining all the, all the ins and outs of it. So she knew that her brother just wasn't listening. Right. But, but of course, you know how we are with all our clients. She didn't know the, the ins and outs of how they calculate the actual death benefit of the, and why you don't get the cash value and the, and the death benefit. So we're, we're just going to go over all it. No, she's not surrendering it. Um, but, but I'm just saying that it's a valid offer her, any of your clients, you know, I'm like, and I there's wouldn't expect any of them to want to surrender. I'm just. There's a guy on the radio who claims to uh, know everything, and he says that you know. You're not getting that, but he, but <laughs> yeah, I offer. I make that offer quite often, James, but less and less because, you know, I think as we get a voice out there, you know, we don't want to talk to everybody that has what we need, uh, or they, or we have the offer what they need. We just want to talk to the people that believe what we believe. And I know banking with life has a, has a lot of people following them. Can you comment? Do you have to on a, on a regular basis, you know, uh, have interactions with people that are challenging you all the time and, or do you just tell them to go on their merry way? Oh, you know, that's a great question. Thanks for answering, uh, asking. <laughs> and uh, before I answer that, let me say this. I had a client come in, uh, her and her husband, they came in from like Arizona. They drove here to Texas. They have uh, several businesses in the aviation world, you know, and they rent airplanes for one. They do aircraft mechanics and then a couple of other. Anyway, and they have this wing. They drove here to get a wing for an airplane. So on the way back, they're like, hey, can we just stop in, you know, and say hi and meet the team? And uh, and sure, so they came in, and, and the long story short is, while she was here, you know, I'm like, hey, you want to sit down and do a podcast? And she's like, sure. And I think it came up in the episode that's not released yet, but going to your point, she was uh, very analytical, does the books and all the payroll and the accounting and uh, for all of the businesses, and they're they're successful, and they're like most Americans that have been in business and families, you know, we've all had some financial challenges from time to time. But she called me one day, Bruce, and she goes, James, uh, you know, I got to, I got to, uh, it was right after. So she, I think she'd bought one or two policies. Um, and she goes deep, deep into the rabbit hole. She listens to y'all. She listens to the Banking with Life podcast and, um, she, we had a conversation. She's like, she has outstanding loans at that time, financing airplanes that were generating a cash flow, right? Because they're in the air. And when they're in the air, they're getting paid, right? Um, but she sat down with a, at the behest of a family member with the family member's financial advisor, right? And so she's doing it out of, uh, you know, just being generous and gracious. And the financial advisor is telling her that if she has an how bad whole life is right and you got to do the internal rate of return buy term and invest the difference that worn out argument um 
like if I buy whole life insurance, I can't invest in anything. That's a ludicrous idea, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, here they are investing in three businesses, and one of them they're financing at least one airplane, maybe two. At that time, I think it was one. He's telling her, your policy will not earn dividends when there's an outstanding loan. Yeah. yeah. And this lady, this lady, I'm gracious, right? Uh, smart, capable, able, runs the the finances of three successful businesses, right? Um you know, couldn't explain to him. She's like, no, this, this is, that's not true. This is actually in fact happening. And, you know, and he was adamant and here she's checking her online portal twice or three times a day, watching the cash values go up. Now the dividend wasn't paid because she was right. at the end of the year, but since then the dividend was paid. And so, I mean, but what's new in the financial world? Yeah, we have to focus. We've got to narrow the focus to one particular point, an internal rate of return or the total death benefit, or the cash value, or you're going to be charged and pay interest on an outstanding loan. Um, and, and I say this all the time because I heard it from Nelson, and it's absolutely true. Most people's understanding of life insurance is based on someone else's misconception. Yes. And- I wish, James, to your point, I wish there would be like a pact in the financial world that people would stop talking bad about stuff that they don't understand. The challenge is that the whole world would become silent, Rachel. (laughs) I know he's absolutely sharing an inaccuracy. He just doesn't know, or Mm. I I guess he doesn't know, or he's trying to mislead. I mean, the challenge is there. Why is he trying to convince of something that he does not understand? Right. But we do have these conversations, Bruce. You know, we have them about uh, proper foundation, you, yourself, proper insurability, financial planning, retirement planning, prudent family, uh, financial mechanics. Then the expansion, how do you expand a system to the children up laterally, you know, down. So siblings, what insurable interest is there? Business partners up, parents, uh, downward, you know, children, grandchildren. And so in my, I firmly believe um, that if you lay the correct foundation, you can build anything on top of that that you wish, whether mm-hmm. it's policies upwards and, and then, um, I believe also that there's a proper way to expand, you know, where do you start? Um, you know, what parent or individual, the family, how much death benefit premium is allocated, both of them to the children. I mean, I believe that there is a proper expansion and we, we practice that in our office. Um, from the beginning, you know, it's a learning curve to the new client. Right. Just even being exposed to this idea. And a lot of it is unlearning uh, some untruths and these Mm -hmm. drive by innuendos. You cannot make a decision based on opinions. And, you know, they're really drive by innuendos and accusations. Right. And sound bites, which this world is full of. You cannot make a decision based on that. When you do your research and you lay the proper foundation, there is a path to expand properly all the way up for the rest of your life. And then into the next generation, you don't have to wait, right? You could lay the foundation now and start moving that way. Um, You know, if I have 10 children and, you know, 14 grandchildren, I'm not going to be able to get that done overnight. Perfect. Mm -hmm. All right. But I can head in the correct direction and have fun getting there. So, 
Yes, the short answer is we do have these conversations, Bruce. Um, but typically, you know, our clients, but if they're our clients, um, they know more most of the time when they sit down with the quote-unquote financial guru. And then going directly to your question when it comes to the combativeness is, no, I'm over. I'm too old. I, I can waste my time like a professional. I don't need to have a financial guru uh, waste my time for me. Does that make sense? Um, I'm way beyond that. I believe it is caught rather than taught. I mean, if a guy has two MBAs and five financial degrees and six or seven licenses and wants to challenge me, it's like his business must not be very successful. He's got all the time to challenge, you know? So, yeah. so what I, what I tend to do is uh, when I was younger, I would tend to, to take up that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I've gotten older, I'm just gonna, I'm going to, ask more questions of them to find out where their knowledge base is. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if you soon figure out that their knowledge base isn't there, then I, then I just actually have some resources and I say, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to actually discuss this until you actually get up to the knowledge base that I think you need to be. So here are these resources. So I'll either email it to them or hand them to them. And so please read this and then we'll talk again. Yeah. Well, you're I'm more just, gracious than I am, sir. <laughs> I want to be like you. <laughs> we, well, yeah. Speaking of that, we, we're sometimes we get phone calls. I'll, I'll filter them out because most people book on on our website. We never talk to them before the first appointment. And um, we had this guy call. Sometimes you get people calling. I don't know why they just pick up the phone. They want to call a number. Sure. Leave a message to call them back. And uh, anyways, he he started asking all the questions. I was like, hey, well, here's how you book an appointment. He started to do it and then he's like, I'm not answering all these questions. And we put all these questions there to keep people out because it was like you're saying, you don't need someone else to waste your time. Yeah. And uh, they tried to tell me how, well, if you if you would change this, you'd have a better business. And this guy supposedly was a successful business owner. And I said, I'm like, well, thanks, but uh, we do oh. it for a reason. And <laughs> I don't think we're a good fit, sir. And I was like, have a great day. Uh, I think they called our office too. You know, it's like, yeah. they want to offer the free consulting that you didn't ask for, you know, the business exactly. consulting, yeah. which is all, you know, it's fair. I get it that everybody wants information right now, you know, but it's like, you're not on demand. You're available, but you're not on demand. You're busy. We're busy. They're busy. I mean, I'm available, but not on demand, right? So, um, well, I think we just realized that I think anyone in any space recognizes that you serve a particular subset of people best. They get the most value from working with you. You get the most energy and fulfillment from working with them. And ultimately, we need to all do our own best work, not trying to solve everybody's problems who is not in our core line of work. And if we do that, then the right people end up finding each other. And I think, you know, I, I think I've gone over some evolution as well. I used to hope that we could help everybody to understand this concept <laughs> and be able to shift everyone's thinking to make these decisions. And and then you realize that, well, that's a losing battle and that's not the business we want to be in of convincing people. But the right person who's looking to grow their mindset and be able to make the best decisions possible is going to find the right resources that are going to help them continue along that growth path. And at some point, if it's the right fit, our paths will intersect. Hey, James, have you been to the Dallas Fed? <clears throat> no, I don't want to go there. <clears throat> hey, I haven't well, been down to TDC, you know, the prisons <laughs> in Texas either. I mean, <laughs> well, <I'm> just, <laughs> 
<laughs> actually, uh, St. Louis has a St. Louis Fed where I'm where I am, and sure. I've attended I've attended a couple of educational oh, events okay. at the Fed, uh, and and they're pretty interesting because they'll talk about like there's one coming up talking about inflation, yep. and obviously I was thinking, well, you guys should know about it because because you're causing it, <laughs> um, but but my point is we we uh, we talked about controlling the capital. Or who or who uh, owns the gold makes the rules. Yeah. Well, all you have to do is go to an educational event at a Fed, an actual Fed building, and know that controlling the capital is a great enterprise to be in, because the because the the audaciousness of the building on the inside, the outside looks like a prison, yeah. but the inside is. 20 foot ceilings and I'm not exaggerating mm-hmm. lined from, from floor to ceiling with marble yep. and, and different types of, of furnitures and chandeliers and so on and so forth. And I always tell my uh, people who, who are trying to figure out why is controlling capital so important? I say, well, next time the fed and I give them the website has a, uh, has a meeting, go attend that meeting and you'll see why controlling capital is so important. Yeah, but what's new in history? You go all over the world, anywhere, you know, I've not been all over the world yet, but, you know, when I've been to Europe, you look at all the, uh, the castles and the, uh, the monasteries, you know, I mean, they, at the time, they were, they, they did, they controlled the capital, you know. Um, but I did one time several years ago, like 10, long time ago, I was uh, in a layover in an airport, I think New Mexico, Las Vegas, Arizona, somewhere out there. And uh, I happened to be sitting next to this lady. I was reading Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and she struck up a conversation, and, and she was an employee of the New York Fed, mm. right? And so we started talking about banking, and I was astonished by her ignorance, astonished, mm. astonished. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I walked away from that like there's no hope. You know, of course, I gave her a copy of Nelson's book and – you know, but I I was, and I'm not saying that they're all, I don't want to make a blanket statement, paint with a broad brush, but it's a big canvas. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to imply that they're all ignorant because they're not, but she was, and she'd been like an employee for years. I mean, like a couple of years from retirement and mm. anyway, but no, I haven't been there, but I have been in inside, you know, various government buildings around the world. And, uh, no question, floor to ceiling opulence. Why? Because mm-hmm. they controlled the money. They were exactly controlling right. the banking function, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'd rather your, be under the radar and like I drive a truck, man. It's fifteen years old. <laughs> I get it. So for your uh, for your listeners, if they want to if they want to get an insight to that, uh, Danielle D. Martino Booth was actually working in the Dallas Fed, and she wrote a book, Fed Up. And I've had the pleasure of actually um, meeting her on a couple of occasions. Wow. And it re- it's really a good book to uh, give insights on, con- you know, how the Fed controls capital and thus, you know, controls um, many things in our lives, unfortunately. And, g- and getting back to, you know, some of the reasons why maybe families don't discuss, you know, capital and discuss anything about money is, you know, probably this attitude that the, the creation of capital or creation of money 
um, and taking us off these the standards that we were used to has caused this inflationary uh, situation where now we have to have two incomes in a lot of situations just to survive. So there's not there's not a family unit that gets together like they used to. And that's a, that's kind of a tragedy in itself uh, yeah, that sure. that this inflation is going to cause more and more people to not have the time to spend with family. Yep. No, I, yeah, I agree you know, with that. I'll share something real quick here. Um, I, I mentioned this book on our previous show earlier today, but your new money story I'm reading right now. And um, this actually relates to the conversation right now, because I think a lot of times if a family has not had the ability to create wealth, they may not feel really good about what they know about money to be able to pass on to future sure. generations. And this kind of taps into this idea and it's talking about spirituality and money. And he said, Abundance, wealth, and spirituality are synonyms. Their antonyms are scarcity, poverty, and materialism. He says, you may not know what it is truly like to be spiritual unless you're wealthy. How free are you to be spiritually resonant if you're worried about making the mortgage or rent payment by the first of the month? And then he said, remember that wealthy does not automatically equate with worldly riches, but it must incorporate aspects of freedom and choice in the context of experience and abundance. He said here, though, if you're running and a bear is chasing you, you don't have the freedom of a contemplative moment to think great thoughts or create new ideas. And I think sometimes we can be so caught up in the pursuit of having enough in our lives and that moving target of wondering how much is enough. And we're always looking to create more money that we're not stopping to enjoy what we do have and truly create wealth that's more than money that's also the flourishing of our personal lives. And so I think, Bruce, when you said that um, sometimes when you have the multiple incomes, you're not really able to be in a situation where you're really being able to stop and think about money. You know, we can all just change that narrative. We can say, well, wherever I am right now, let me think about my thinking. Let me think about where my ideas about money came from. And let me think about how can I create more and how can I be in a better position of control? And those questions will start being better questions that you can ask financially to start finding ideas and solutions. I love that. I got to say, Rachel, I was so poor growing up. I was on my knees a lot, very dependent upon, you know, the creator of this universe. And I don't know how people that don't have a relationship with him make it in life. That's just me talking. Mm -hmm. But um but I, I, I like what you said. And then speaking of books, did y'all y'all are probably aware? I was made aware last week that Nelson's book "Becoming Your Own Banker" is now legitimately available on audio. So you can go to Audible and download "Becoming Your Own Banker." So I'd encourage you to do that um, if you haven't. Um, so I just want to since we're talking about books and I've written those books down, um, I like to read, but like all of us, you know, we have limited time. So I've uh, been a member of Audible for a long time, but I've never used it until Nelson's book became available or I was made aware of it last week. Nice. And so now, of course, a lot of books that I like to read and do read are not available on Audible. I wonder why. Um, but there are an awful lot of other books on Audible that, you know, and I'm not trying to promote them. I'm trying to promote Nelson's book is available there. Um, and I'm all giddy like a schoolgirl. It's like, oh my gosh, now I can listen to all these books. Anyway. We can listen to it while you're sleeping. <laughs> all night long. That's all I do. Um, 
Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So here we're, we're probably coming up somewhere on an hour, you know, and I know y'all are busy and have things to do. Um, so you want to wrap it up with any closing thoughts or comments? I want to say thank you, James. Thanks for having us on your show. Thank you for doing good work and for really putting your client's best interest at heart. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn new things and be growth minded and continue to challenge your own viewpoints and being expansive in your thinking is creating more space in the world for people to continue to learn and be in financial control. And just really an honor and pleasure to be on your show today and to share these ideas together. Wow. That, thank you very much. Maybe you, we can talk about an arrangement where you can be my spokesperson. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's really good. And I'm just going to continue this, James. Um, and I don't even know if you made this up, but I certainly give you credit for it all the time, you know, because I think this is the key thing when it comes to the infinite banking concept. If you understand the concepts, the details don't matter. And if you don't understand the concepts, the details don't matter. So the details never matter. And that is the closing thing that I would like all the listeners to understand that ha have to put like numbers to this thing all the time is that, it's about the concepts, just like the family is about the, the concept of family and the love and the expansion of the family. It's the same way about the, just the concept of controlling the capital and, and uh, expanding the capital. They're one and the same. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, to my knowledge, that was an original James Nethering. You know, the details important because it's your money but man yep all right lucas you have anything young man i would say thanks for having us on the show and um as you talked about uh controlling the money i think it's interesting when you think about the powerful institutions control the narrative and so don't don't um yeah. don't listen to the the those who are controlling the narrative uh, especially when they use uh maybe a faith-based institutions to promote their ideas don't just buy it just because it's promoted from the pulpit, you know, if, if you're faith believing, you know, actually go out and question things and seek the truth. I love it. Well, y'all are all very gracious. I had fun, you know, time flies when you have uh, fun and you're surrounded by smart people. I appreciate y'all, each of you individually and then collectively what y'all do. Um, and so thank you for taking the time to, to come here. And I love the idea. I love that y'all are sharing the same little headbud or phone earbud set. That's cool. All right. <laughs> Listen, this is the first time we don't normally podcast together. We said, how are we going to do this? We can send him in a mic in a different room or we'll just uh, run it this way. So that works out works. beautifully. All right. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. You should. Thank Thanks, you, James. Bye-bye, Bruce. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.